the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Monday. I hope you had a good weekend. I'm Dennis Prager. Yesterday, I videoed my first lectures for Daily Wire. What is it called? It's got a beautiful name. What is it called? Master Course. Master Course. So I was asked to do eight or ten, I don't remember, master courses on any subject I desired. And I did it. I did two. I gave 15 consequences of the key problem of the modern age, the source of most of our problems, like affirming breasts, breast removal from healthy girls because they say they're boys, the entire notion that men give birth and the like. How did we get to this place? How did we get to the New York Times publishing a piece by a Yale law professor and a Harvard law professor that we should get rid of the Constitution. It is an impediment to American progress. The Constitution that made the freest, most affluent, most opportunity-giving, most welcoming of foreigner country on earth is an impediment. It is. It's an impediment to leftism. The Constitution and leftism are opposites. So two leftist law professors write that. How did we get to all of this? How did we get to the chaos of our time? How did we get to the acceptance of, of lying like that permeates the woke press? Like the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. And the answer to the chaos of our time, the source of it, is secularism. I gave 15 consequences of secularism terrible consequences. The arrogance of the contemporary secular intellectual that the bases, the moral basis of Western civilization, the Bible, can be jettisoned and will still have a moral civilization. There are conservative secular people who believe that too. Thank God for these people, but they think it. I want to read to you something that is both hilarious and frightening. It's from Douglas Murray's book, The War on the West. I wonder if you remember this. You read that, right? I had a very wise friend who died during the COVID pandemic, a distinguished Indian-born economist called Deepak Lal. 
In his later years, Deepak used to chortle unstoppably when discussing the latest idiocies afflicting the universities in America and other institutions in the West to which he had devoted most of his working life. Quote, Everybody claims that after the age of Christianity, we are going to enter an age of atheism, he once said to me, whereas it is perfectly clear that we are entering an age of polytheism. Everybody has their own gods now. Correct. Now, here comes... Here comes... <laughs> it's... I always think they can't do something more unbelievable in our schools, and I'm always wrong. To take just one example, last year, 2021, the State Board of Education in California... I wonder if you, I'm really curious if you remember this. Approved a model curriculum in ethnic, ethnic studies that included prayers to the Aztec gods. You do remember that? Quote, the affirmations, chants, and energizers were meant to bring the class together and build unity around ethnic studies principles and values and reinvigorate the class, unquote. These include, these prayers include the in lak etch affirmation, an Aztec prayer calling on Tezcatlipoca, Quetzalcoatl, Huitzitlipochti, Xipetotec, and Hunabku. Twenty times the names of these Aztec gods are invoked as they are asked to help such things as strength that allows us to transform and renew. So you are now allowed in California to pray to Aztec gods, but not the god of the Bible. Get it? That was, that was prohibited in 1962 by the United States Supreme Court. Any prayer to the god of the Bible, who is the god of the universe. These are Aztec gods. The God of the Bible is the God of all humanity. You can't get more inclusive than that. The Aztec gods, were the Aztecs, were they among those deeply involved in human sacrifice? Who, who were the big ones in, in, uh, in South America, Central America? Take a look. I don't want to accuse the Aztecs of something they didn't do. Wow. Prayers to the Aztec gods. That's okay, but prayer to God, that's not okay. The root cause of it all is the post-Christian, post-Judeo-Christian, or better, post-Christianity, post-Judeo-Christian values age in which we live. It sows chaos as we are indeed seeing. I'm now offering to you a phenomenon that is taking place that I have pointed out. It is not, I'm not happy to do so. I didn't expect to do so. The the disproportionate role of women in the woke destruction of our civilization. 
it's obvious in schools, people don't point it out, the vast majority of your kids' teachers who are telling them that they may not be a boy or a girl just because they have a penis or a vagina, who's going to let that interfere uh, with what they feel? The, the vast majority of these teachers, of course, are female. But here is a really, really powerful statement of the role that many females are playing. Men seem to have a monopoly, although it's, it's, it's lessening, but a monopoly on physical violence. And women don't have a monopoly, but they are way, way disproportionately related in violence against the civilization not physical violence. Aztec Mayans and Incas all used uh, humans to sacrifice. I wonder if they teach that to them. You know, the God of the Bible banned human sacrifice, the first such ban in the history of humanity that we know of. It's 3,200 years ago. But uh, who's, who's taught that? Bible's irrelevant. Aztec gods, that's where it's at. Here's a document. A group calling itself Physicians for Reproductive Health. This is from National Review. A group calling itself Physicians for Reproductive Health has published an open letter to the nation's reporters and news editors demanding that they pretend anti-abortion activists do not exist. This is what the group wrote. We are writing, they're all doctors, by the way. There were few RNs, but nearly everyone was an MD. And nearly everyone, I looked at the name, I looked at the first hundred names, I found two males. Two. Isn't that fascinating? I'm going to read the names, I'm going to read the list. Not the 600, the the first 50. We are writing today with a big request. Stop giving airtime to anti-abortion activists. We know your reporting standards are to cover, quote, both sides, unquote, of any debate. Allow us to be clear. Medicine and science are not up for debate. Wow. This is is 600 doctors signed this. If you believe that the fetus at some stage, at any stage, is a human being, you are espousing medicine and science that are are wrong, and they're not even debatable. The future of American medicine is very, very perilous. The rate of inflation we're experiencing is staggering. For some people, especially seniors on a fixed income, it's actually scary. The fear of outliving your money is probably causing a lot of sleepless nights. But Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian at andrewandtodd.com may have the answer for you. A reverse mortgage can be a lifesaver and provide peace of mind in your golden years. It's not for everyone, but if you're a good fit, it's a life changer for the better. To find out if a reverse mortgage is right for you, it's more important than ever to talk to someone you can trust who will give you honest answers. I do trust Andrew and Todd. 
They are experienced mortgage bankers with Sierra Pacific who can guide you through every step of the process. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. See if a reverse mortgage is something that will work for you. It could be the exact solution you were hoping for. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. Listen to this uh, letter from a group of six, 600 physicians, nearly every one female. It uh, can't be a coincidence that the press should not report anti-abortion activist statements or actions. Medicine and science are not up for debate. That So the it is now, if you think that abortion is not moral, if there's no health problem for the, for the mother, if the child is viable, if the child taken out can be fully human and fully healthy, if you even think that is an issue, you are conflicting, you are conflicted with science and medicine. You know how sick the, these doctors who sign this are? Do you know how sick the medical profession has become in the last few years? Sick. I've never talked this way. Never. All I talked was how doctors had saved my life. My life. The left destroys everything it touches. Medicine is a biggie. Allow us to be clear. Medicine and science are not up for debate. Healthcare is not a matter of opinion. Really? Healthcare is not a matter of opinion? Is that a fact? Don't you get a second opinion? What are they talking about? It's not a matter of opinion. Healthcare is not a matter of opinion. Whether the government should should pay for your healthcare, that's not opinion. Whether the insurance company should, whether you should, that these are not opinions. It is a matter of fact. Healthcare. By the way, note that abortion is not a moral issue. It's solely a health care issue. There's no moral component to the issue of abortion to the 600 doctors who signed this. Physicians for Reproductive Health. The fact is abortion is not in the realm of theory or belief. Really. It's not in the realm of belief. Abortion belongs in health care, social services, and public health reporting. With this in mind, we are asking for a commitment from the community of media outlets reporting on abortion to keep in mind the true danger you present when interviewing anti-abortion extremists. How about anti-abortion moderates? That doesn't exist for them. You are giving the opportunity for dangerous lies to spread. It's a dangerous lie that the child is a human? If the woman wants the baby, is it human or not? Yes or no, doctors. You are allowing hateful, dangerous harassers to build a base that encourages protesting at clinics, stalking and harming clinic staff and abortion providers, and online and in-person abuse of people who have abortions and those who support them in getting that care. 
You can go to it, Physicians for Reproductive Health. Yeah, we are concerned for our safety. If you believe in the evidence-based reasoning of medical care, if you believe in keeping communities safe, abortion keeps communities safe. Wow. And if you believe in centering the needs of experts of an issue in this case, in this case, people who haven't provide abortions, that's it. We said centering, whatever, that doesn't, I don't know what it's, it's a woke word. Then we ask that you interview and center the real experts of this area of medicine. So this is the letter from this group, 600 plus physicians. Are you ready? Here's, here are some of the names. I'm not reading all 600. I would like to, but I'm not. Dr. Christina Bourne, Kelsey Rhodes, Dr. Maya Bass, Dr. Cassie Friedrich, Dr. Robin Holmes, Dr. Rachna Gulati. I checked the names that I don't know that are Indian. I don't know if they're male or female. They're female. Dr. Kelly Pfeiffer, Dr. Iman Al-Sadin, Dr. Rebecca Taub, Dr. Ruth Lehman-Weens, Dr. Danny uh, Fincher, Catalina Moreno, Madison Gresham, Stormy Herbison, Alexandria Para, Jessica Sazama, Victoria Lank RN, Sam Treat RN. I don't know if that was male or female. I think it was female. I don't, let me let me look that up because I have not yet reached, as you see, I have not yet reached a uh, a, a a male name. All right, we'll give this a try. I really, I really want to be completely accurate on this, the tragedy of what uh, women are doing disproportionately to medicine. Many men are screwing it up too. Okay, let's. Okay, this is bizarre. I look it up. Will you, Sam Treat R N T R E A T, Kaylee Volinger. Lucia Uloa, Ashley Brink, Dr. Jody Steinauer, Alejandra Velasco, Abigail Lambert, Jennifer Guerrero, Ayla Calmer, Dr. Quinn Jackson, I don't know that one, Dr. Valerie French, Kate Cherveni RN, Dr. Ashley Robbins, Dr. Hilary Rainbolt, Dr. Montita Fleming, Floor Hunt, Alina Chavez, Rebecca Tong, Dr. Lara Crystal Ornelas, Reverend Deneen Robinson, Dr. April Lockley, Dr. Angeline T., Renee Roberts, PAC, Dr. Selena Sandoval, Dalbir Kalsa, PAC, Rimsha Syed, Dr. Shelley Teen, Anna Towns, Megan Zampiri Lilpap, Dr. Carla Buford, and finally, a male name, Dr. Bruce Price. Wow. Bad stuff going on. Back in a moment. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and lotiony in the store, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at My Pillow found that out around 2006, and towels changed forever. 
He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work. And that happens to be true. I use them. They are all made with USA cotton, and they come with the MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. Six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. Regularly $109.99, now $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels, by entering the promo code Prager. Or call 800-761-6302 for these great radio specials. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. Prager, you should give you a lot of uh, hope. I, I wish, as I said, I wish so many of you could see what happens, for example, when I walk through airports, the number of young people who come over. Yesterday, I, I went to PragerU to do this filming for Daily Wire, and Alan Estrin, the living martyr, and I were eating beforehand at a cheesecake factory, and the young black guy uh, sitting next to us, we were at the bar to get quicker service, just comes over. And how, how much uh, he, he loves the work. So we're in a big fight. I'm sorry? He said we were in a big fight. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He said we're in a big fight. Yep. We're in a big fight. One of the one of the greatest of our fighters is Epunobi. There's a silent K. Amala Epunobi. Amala has a gigantic following. Amala, I want you to know... And everybody knows, I, I mean, not everybody, but you know, and most people know, I don't, I try really not to exaggerate. I want you to know how often I go anywhere in the country and people mention you to me. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> that blows my mind. <laughs> well, I'm very touched that it blows your mind. May it continue to blow your mind. It, it's a, it's a statement of, of humility but uh, I, it, it's, I give you my word. It's really quite something. Uh, I, yeah, I never imagined my life was going to be like this. And when people walk up to me and say they watch any of the content that I create, it, it just is astonishing. Uh, Amala does a, a daily podcast of her own called Unapologetic. And uh, what do you estimate right now the viewership is? Wow, I mean, across platforms, probably over a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand views per episode, which right, per episode. we've we've managed to to get going in just a few months. So that's a million views a week. Yes, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> believe it or not, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, Amala's story uh, is a phenomenal story. Uh, am I free to talk about it, Amala? Absolutely, go for it. It's really funny. I have Amal on, and I'm telling you her story. I, there's certain chutzpah <laughs> in that, I have to admit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love but, to hear my story yes. told by Dennis. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That, that's great. So, in a nutshell, Amala is the, uh, is the child of a, a black African man and a white American woman. And the, the, the woman, her mom... Uh, is a, is a quite an active woman on the left. 
Is that fair to say? She's oh, a, she, absolutely she, she's, fair. A, she's an activist. She's, she's, she's not just somebody who has left-wing views. And Amala shared those left-wing views to the point that, and I remember the first time I heard you say this somewhere in the country at a PragerU fundraiser, and I really thought I'd fall off my chair. And it takes a lot for me to think I'll fall off a chair. She has a BLM tattoo. And I, I can oh. only say, never, ever remove it. It is God's way of reminding you where you were. <laughs> yep, it, it reminds me of how fallible humans truly are every time I look down at my arm. So it's staying. <laughs> is that precious? It reminds her how fallible. This is, look. There are certain people who are either from God or nature. There's no way to know. And I'm a big believer in God, but you, I, I, can't, I can't know what God does or doesn't do in anyone, anyone's life. But either God or nature gave, gave this woman extraordinary ability to touch people. Anyway, to make a long story short, and I'm not making it that short, uh, she is now a phenomenon for the values that we share. I'm going to continue with you in a moment, Amala. I just want all of you to know this is fundraising month, and this week is triple match. In other words, donors have agreed that whatever you give to PragerU will be tripled. Wow! Yes, it is a wow. You give $10, it's 30 You give 100 it's 300 You give 1000 it's 3000 give 100000 it's 300000 Go to PragerU.com. Please help the fighters. You can't do nothing. It's a sin to do nothing. We're not asking everyone. Not everyone could be an activist. Everyone can help those of us who are fighting. PragerU.com or call 833-PRAGERU. It will be tripled. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, you'll earn, as I have, cash back thanks to Upside. I couldn't believe it, actually, but it's so simple to use, and you really do get much more money back than anywhere else I have ever heard of. I don't know why you wouldn't do it, frankly. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code Dennis and Julie and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code Dennis and Julie to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 dollars or more using the promo code Dennis and Julie. Hi everybody, welcome to the Dennis Prager show. My guest is in that rarefied category of needs no introduction, Jared Kushner, senior advisor to President Trump. And it is a delight to have you on the show, Jared Kushner. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I, I appreciate that. So Jared Kushner's book on his White House years with President Trump is titled Breaking History, a White House Memoir, and it comes out tomorrow. And, of course, it's up at DennisPrager.com. So is, is this your first book? This is my first book, and, and 
probably my last book, but it was a That's definitely funny. big undertaking. You know, I have and, asked that question uh, probably 500 times. That's the only time someone ever said what you did, and probably my last book. <laughs> it, it's, it's a hard undertaking. That's what I was going to ask. Exactly. Yeah. Pe- yeah, pe- but, people don't know how hard it is till they do it. Yes. Well, I actually think it's not that hard to write a book, but our goal is to write a great book. And I, I think to really capture how to tell the story correctly, there were so many different things happening in the Trump White House. We had all the external investigations and irritants and hostile media. And then we were trying to get so many things done that to tell the story with the same intensity that we felt when we were in the experience was, was a real challenge to do. But I, I'm very, very pleased with how it came out. And I think we were able to to give it a great pace and, and really convey a lot of uh, what it was like being in the Trump White House, uh, working through all the different challenges we, we had. You were instrumental in, a, in, in, a, in an achievement that if that alone were somebody's achievement, they, they, could, they could sort of retire. You're too, way too young to retire. I'm too young to retire. But uh, uh, you did something really remarkable with the Abraham Accords, Whose idea was this uh, peace initiative with between Israel and some Arab states? So uh, I say that it evolved over the years, and I go through this extensively in the book to characterize how my first year was really about uh, learning about the situation. Uh, because I wasn't an experienced diplomat or from the class of people in Washington who were part of the foreign policy establishment, I really spent the first year listening Uh, The conventional thinking at the time was that you had to make peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. But the more time I spent talking to smart people, the more I realized that maybe that wasn't the right way. And that seemed like a a dead end and that there was uh, perhaps a better pathway. But I I, I joke with my my friends that I succeeded on on try C, but only because I went through the alphabet three times, Hmm. failing in different ways before we finally found an opening uh, to make the breakthrough. But uh, in retrospect, the work was completely worth it because these peace accords have been very enduring, they're thriving, and uh, they continue to, to evolve, really, despite uh, the way that they haven't you know, been attempted to be nurtured by, by the current administration. And they've taken on a life of themselves, and they're bringing uh, Israel and, and the Muslims in the region together uh, in a way that I think will be very enduring for a lot of peace and prosperity and economic interactivity and really respect between the religions that will avoid conflict and hopefully keep America out of these endless wars. If you were still in, at the White House, if President Trump were still president, what Arab countries would you be working with now? So or do you we think, were working... or, uh, I'm sorry, or do you think you exhausted the list? Oh, no, we were just getting warmed up. We, we got our first deal uh, signed in September uh, first deal announced in August. Uh, after that, we were able to, and that was very tightly held. You know, we, we worked in a, an environment in Washington with a lot of leaks and uh, a lot of people always looking to sabotage everything we worked on. And we're able to keep it uh, a secret between three governments, our government, uh, the Emirati government, and the Israeli government. And then once it broke out uh, that we announced it and, and we really broke the news with a presidential tweet, it shocked the world. Uh, even the New York Times uh, had to admit that it was a pretty a groundbreaking achievement. Uh, we started speaking to Bahrain. We got them on board. Uh, then we worked very hard to get uh, to get uh, Sudan and Kosovo to join as well. And then uh, even during our lame duck period in Washington, we were able to get Morocco, 
make a peace agreement with Israel as well, which was a big breakthrough. And so at the time, we had very active discussions with Mauritania, which I think is a real possibility, which is important to get. And then the big prize is really in the Gulf with Saudi Arabia, Qatar. I think the GCC will come together. I think there's different dynamics to play to get one to go before the other. But the, the last deal that I made, I write about this in the end of the book, is, is really we were sunsetting in our time in government, was we brokered a deal to end the GCC dispute, which was really a blockade uh, uh, between Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, and Bahrain that they had on Qatar. And so we couldn't really advance further with those countries until that was resolved. And so we also spoke to Indonesia, we spoke to Pakistan. Both of them are waiting on Saudi Arabia, but it's gone from uh, an, an if it will happen to a when it will happen. And I do think it's just fundamentally transformed the Middle East and uh, the momentum that, 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 that it had when we left was extraordinary. So it's very interesting when I think about this the only Muslims preoccupied, or at least governmentally or officially, in terms of, uh, of a non-governmental or non-country organization like Hamas, tell me if I'm right, the only ones now that are preoccupied with annihilating Israel are, are the Iranian regime, Hamas, and Hezbollah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's accurate. You know, it, it's funny, I... I like I said, I approached everything to Bula Rasa, uh, and again, I wasn't a diplomat, but when I got involved, what I realized is that all the things that people were telling me about this conflict just didn't make any sense, and a lot of what existed was still the vestiges of the post-World War II structure, where you had a lot of anti-Semitism that was rampant, and then when Israel uh, agreed to you know, basically split up Palestine with uh, through the UN plan, uh, the Arabs rejected the plan, attacked Israel. Israel uh, miraculously won that war, and then uh, the Arabs, in their in their embarrassment, really expelled a lot of the Jews who'd been living for thousands of years uh, peacefully in Arab capitals in Cairo and Baghdad and other places from their places, and and that really led to a cycle where over the next fifty years or seventy years there were there were three more wars. Israel won those defensive wars, and it just created this blockage. And for whatever reason, they gave the Palestinians this veto over the ability to do things that are in their interests. And one of our, my big revelations, I write about this in one of my favorite chapters in the book, where I met with Sultan Qaboos, who was the longest uh, standing leader in the Gulf. He was uh, running uh, Oman for over 50 years. Uh, I kind of realized that it was two separate conflicts that had been conflated, and that's why it was so screwed up and so hard to resolve. You had the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is essentially a border dispute, and the whole modern Middle East is essentially a bunch of arbitrary lines drawn by foreigners anyway. And then you have the Arab-Israeli conflict, which is really for the Muslim people about having access to the mosque. And you can go back to the 1920s, you can go back hundreds of years. There's been a big uh, wave of Muslim leaders trying to stimulate uh, desires and, and, and raise money off the fact that the mosque was under the attack, which was a false notion that was put out uh, to the Muslim world. So once we understood what the problems were, I kind of said, you know, who the hell elected, you know, Abbas and his band of incompetent negotiators at the Palestinian, you know, leadership to negotiate for the mosque on behalf of the entire Muslim world. And I realized it was just a fully illogical construct. And going against the grain was very tough because I was criticized by basically everyone, everyone in the media, everyone uh, who'd worked on this before me and failed said I was doing it the wrong way. But uh, the way that I approached it was logical, and so I was willing to take the heat through that process, knowing that you know I had a high probability of failure, but if I was going to fail, at least I was going to fail in an original way, not in the same way that people before me had failed. 
So I, I, I said to you, Iran, Hezbollah, and, and Hamas, of course, two of them, well, no, one of them, Hamas. Hamas is Palestinian, Hezbollah is th- theoretically Lebanese, and Iran is Iran. So what percentage, I know there's no scientific answer, but in, in your estimation, which I respect given this experience, what percentage of Palestinians would like Israel to uh, disappear? Like uh, like the Iranian government, and be annihilated, not just disappear peacefully, be annihilated. Yeah, so I, I think it's, I don't think it's very high. I think that what people want at this point is they want the opportunity to lead a better life and for their children to have opportunity. And, you know, one of the things we did, and again, I write about this in the book, is we created a business plan for the West Bank and Gaza uh, to basically show how you fix it, right? So it's basically 5 million people. You take about $27 billion to double the GDP, uh, decrease the poverty rate in half, create a million jobs, uh, reduce unemployment rate uh, to single digits. Uh, not that hard. But what we did is we created a, a conference in Bahrain that was hosted by the King of Bahrain. We had Saudis, we had Emiratis, we had businessmen from all over the world show up to say, we're willing to invest in the West Bank and Gaza and help these people. But our problem is not the Israeli government. Uh, our problem is the fact that there's no fair judiciary. Uh, there's there's fear of terrorism. Uh, we don't want our property. There's no property rights. We don't want our, pro- our property to get expropriated. And so All right. what we did is uh, hold, uh, hold on. Forgive me. Told it there because I got to take a break, and I'm going to continue. Jared Kushner's book, Breaking History, is up at DennisPrager.com. It's it's triple match week. Actually, the final ten days of August. August is fundraising month. We're really fighting, and we're, we're doing a lot of good, a billion views a year. Please help us. PragerU.com, whatever you give will be tripled in the, the next 10 days. PragerU.com, 833-PRAGERU. Jared Kushner, special assistant to Donald Trump during the presidency, has just written his memoir of his time there. We're talking about, the, the memoir is titled Breaking History, a White House memoir. It is out tomorrow, but you can pre-order it, of course, the day before. And it is up at DennisPrager.com. And I intend to read it. And I, I can't read everything, but I want to read this book. We're talking about his brokering these amazing accords that people didn't think would take place. So I want to go to domestic things. I know you have a lot more to say. You, you've become a sort of expert, not sort of, you've become an expert on the Middle East. So this will embarrass you, but I don't mean it as a compliment. I just mean it as an observation. If, if these accords had been brokered under a Democratic president, a president of the Democrat Party, I think that the, somebody there would have gotten a Nobel Peace Prize. Any thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know how these things go, but I did have one of my colleagues joke with me that if we worked for a Democrat uh, administration, that we'd be so busy getting participation trophies that we wouldn't have had to work so hard to try to create real results. So yes. uh, I think it kind of doesn't matter what the recognition is. What matters oh, of course. No, that. no, no. And, I, I, yeah. Believe me, I'm on board with that. I, I the, the Nobel Peace Prize has become like anything else the left touch touches compromised but but nevertheless it, it is worthy of people understanding uh, how uh, how convoluted the process is that that you were not uh, uh, considered for that 
So I, I got a, a domestic question, if I may. One of the revelations to me in the last four years, and I, I, I feel silly even saying this, but I, my listeners know I'm open with them. I did not know how deep the deep state is. The level of corruption at the highest levels of so much of American of America's Washington, D.C. world. A, is that a fair assessment? B, were you aware of it if it is a fair assessment? So C, was it a shock if you became aware of it? So what I would say is it's definitely deeper than I expected, but it's not as wide as it's feared to be. So uh, there's a ton of amazing civil servants that I worked with who are career people who just want good direction. We worked with the, the career staff in USDR to protect American industry. I write a lot about the work we did on the USMCA and China trade deals, which were the biggest and second biggest trade deals in the history of our country, where President Trump fought very, very hard to bring our manufacturing jobs back to America and the improbable way that we made that happen. We had tons of great people even in the State Department who we worked with to bring about uh, the different peace deals that we made as well. But uh, I will say that Trump came in as an outsider and he questions, questioned a lot of norms. He has an unusual style. And in some ways, he was like an antidote that brought people's true intentions all the way up to the surface. And you saw people do things in their attempt to stop him that really exposed a lot of the rot that does exist. So you have all these politicians who run as outsiders and then go to Washington and start going to their cocktail parties and you know, wanting to be a part of the media and they're trying to get, you know, gigs at the media after and they start singing their tune and being a part of it. Trump was an outsider from the beginning. He ran as an outsider. And when he got to D.C., he fought to keep all of his promises. And there were a lot of people who tried to stop him. So uh, I would say it took us a couple of years to get the right people in the right places. Um, but once we had it, we really had the government working um, in, in a great sense. And you know, with all the, I write about this in the book, all the resistance that we had, all the investigations, Trump still managed to get so much done. And that was because he took the bureaucracy of the deep state head on and was able to make a lot of changes uh, despite their efforts to resist him. No kidding. <laughs> I'm curious. Do you have respect for any of the mainstream media in terms of truth telling? I think it's more case by case basis. I think you have, and again, I'll just give you my personal experience. I, I was part of the media world. I owned a newspaper and a bunch of websites. Uh, I knew a lot of the people, but I, I didn't realize till I started traveling the country with uh, with Donald during the uh, during the the primary and then ultimately the election how out of touch they were with the country. But once we won. Uh, again, a lot of my friends in the Upper East Side were saying, you know, you're ruining your reputation by getting so involved with, with his campaign. But I felt like he was fighting for people who, again, it wasn't about right versus left. It was about outside versus in. He really didn't have a voice and felt that the career people in Washington had put their own interests and they were sending their kids off to the endless wars and they were sending their jobs overseas. And they were angry. And, and Trump was the first person who didn't need anything from them. And he stood up and he fought for them. But what I saw when I got to Washington, I assumed that these places would be much more uh, fair-minded. But then we spent two years where basically they were denying the election, saying that it was an illegitimate election. And they were accusing myself and our campaign uh, and, and President Trump of colluding with Russia. And I was saying, 
I mean, never have uh, imagined the situation, right? I know I didn't collude with Russia on most days in the campaign. We couldn't even allude with our candidate. And then you're in a situation where, you know, you turn on CNN or MSNBC or the Washington Post is writing a different revelation saying you're under investigation and the New York Times is stoking the flames of this when there's no there there. And then you see people in Congress getting up, giving speeches like Adam Schiff saying, oh, we have absolute conclusive evidence. And you're sitting there saying, I don't know what they could be talking about. We didn't do anything. And it took us two years to basically prove our innocence, which is the opposite way that it should be. So I think the Trump time uh, deeply damaged and discredited the media. And again, one of the reasons I wrote this book is because they misunderstand him. He's definitely a different type of person, but I do believe that he got things done because he's a different type of person. And the media, for whatever reason, always focused on the sensationalism and never was able to get past that uh, to focus on the substance. And he toyed with them a lot in that regard, but it was very disheartening for me to see how non-credible and how activist uh, most people in the media have become. And even the people who wanted to write good things about us, they were scared of putting out a good article and then having you know, some of these blue check marks on Twitter criticize them for being fair-minded. So um, it's a very disheartening thing. And, and I think that everyone has to find their own truth which again is why I wrote this book. It, you know, people have spent so much time talking about the Trump administration, you know, positive or negative for uh, for the last five years, and so you finally have a primary account to go into what really happened, uh, and what happened in the room, and, and what were the intentions, and, and what occurred. Back in a moment with Jared Kushner. His book is out tomorrow, but you can order it today. It's up at DennisPrager.com. Breaking history: A White House memoir. When we return. An observation on the press for me in the light of my last question, and then I want to ask him about Trump derangement syndrome, a term I never used for four years and now I believe exists. The people who made up the term were right. Back in a moment, I'm Dennis Prager with Jared Kushner. The Dennis Prager Show. Hello, everybody. Dennis Prager with Jared Kushner, special assistant to President Trump. Breaking History, a White House memoir. It comes out tomorrow. It's up at DennisPrager.com. So I'd like to conjoin my last two questions to you, Jared, if I may. Uh, I asked you if you were surprised at how deep the deep state was, and you answered that it was deep but not wide, which I found fascinating. Uh, Speaking personally, I was made aware of the deep state only during... President Trump's tenure, and it is a very disturbing fact of life. When 51 heads of, of American intelligence sign a statement a week, a month before the election in 2020 that the Hunter Biden notebook was Russian disinformation, one realizes how deep the deep state is. Then I asked you if you were surprised by the media. So I'm just conjoining them in this way. I, I learned about the deep state during the president's four years, but I didn't learn about the media that I knew about for for decades. So just for what it's worth, those four years confirmed it. So I I mentioned to you sort of a preview that I, I would ask you about a term that I never used once in the four years of the president's administration. But... I now believe the people who came up with the term were speaking of some, of speaking a truth. Do you have 
any thoughts on the depth and the irrationality of the hatred of President Trump? Yeah, I've, I've experienced it a lot, and, and I've been really surprised by it in many regards. And I think that, you know, one of the great examples I give in the book is how I tried to reach out across the aisle several times on different issues, and we actually were pretty successful. One example was prison reform, which is a mostly conservative policy where you basically have people in prison who, if you don't try to get them job training and addiction treatment and mental health treatment while they're in prison, they're going to go out and commit future crimes. So we got all the law enforcement to work with us to try to do that because they felt like that would make communities safer. And it's something that's been adopted in Texas and Kentucky and a lot of red states, uh, Georgia. And so we reached out to the left. We had two people on the left who worked very closely with us. One was uh, Van Jones, who's a CNN commentator, who, when he came to the White House and it was known he was working with us, uh, people are calling him Uncle Tom. The, the hatred from the left was extraordinary. Even people like John Lewis, uh, you know, who's, who's a great civil rights activist, was fighting our efforts to try to make progress. Uh, Kim Kardashian also came over because she wanted to help get things done and get a pardon for a woman named Alice Johnson. Um, so she crossed the line. And, and so what I saw on the left was they were never willing to have conversations about progress again and you know i found it in washington nobody roots for the referee there's not a great constituency for compromise and we had it a little bit on the right and we had it on the left where anytime people would try to come together to do something for the greater good there would be a lot of people very angry and again i think trump at his core is a pragmatist he's a businessman he's open to making deals but people were so busy trying to resist him or undercut him or malign him that they weren't willing to work with him and when they did they were rewarded by getting things done because he was results oriented. He wasn't a slave to Washington. He wasn't trying to, to to follow process. He was trying to achieve results. And that's what he did on all the topics he touched. Right. So I, but uh, all of that notwithstanding, were you, I was, I was, again, this was a stunning revelation to me, the irrationality of the hatred. I did not like Barack Obama. I did not like Jimmy Carter. I did not like uh, um, uh, the White House with uh, the, 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 the the Bill Clinton, right? Uh, my 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 mind does not want to remember that name. But I didn't hate these people with the hatred that your father-in-law was hated. I I it, it is a phenomenon, like the the never the never Trumpers on the right. So uh, you must have thoughts on this, and I'd be so interested in them. Sure. I think they see him as an existential threat to their power. He doesn't play by their rules. You know, he didn't go by the National Review and ask uh, you know people like Bill Crystal to give him the great blessing. He didn't, uh, you know, go and try to get them to approve of him, and he just didn't pay them mind. So I think in Congress, uh, they saw him as a truly independent politician and an independent president. And he didn't need the donors. He didn't need, uh, you know, the, the leaders in Washington. And so uh, they were very fearful that he was a truly independent president trying to keep his promise and do what he felt was right for the American people. And it didn't conform with, you know, the rules that they've now set in society for what you have to say and what you have to think. And he just, you know, broke all the rules and, and they, they, they hated him for it. That's true. The book is Breaking History. Back in a moment with Jared Kushner. I'm Dennis Prager. Remind you that this is the triple match, match 
for whatever you donate to PragerU. Hi, everybody. You know, in the first hour, I read to you from a group called Physicians for Reproductive Health that the press should give no space to pro-life individuals because they're they're scientifically and medically false as, as if the issue is not opinion but false there were no opinions they said in their open letter this is the to it's a totalitarian letter and I went to the website of physicians for reproductive health 600 or so signed this petition or this letter to the American press, 90%, maybe 95% were female. I've been noting the disproportionate role of women, of females, in ruining this country, just as the disproportionate role of men in violent crime. Each sex has its way of uh, expressing destruction, destruction, and they're, they're both calamitous. So here's another uh, here's another female for you. They're, they predominate in the castration and mutilation of young people in the name of gender affirmation. I repeat, these doctors, male or female, but it's predominantly female, wherever they may be, we gave you Boston Children's Hospital last week, they are mutilating and uh, such as castration, mastectomies of, of young people and that's what they do for a living. They mutilate young people. They're, they may mean well but let me explain something to you. Most evil that most oh, no, all ideological evil is from people who mean well. Okay. Drive-by shooters do not mean well but the ideological evil these people don't wake up and say how can I castrate a boy how can I mutilate a girl they just do it in the name of gender affirmation here's another woman that she's from the Yale mutilation center can we have the uh, audio please I'm a clinical psychologist by training and I am the director of the Yale gender program which is Yale an gender program, program working with gender expansive individuals 3 to 25 in their Okay, families. hold on. I got to translate. Gender she's a psychologist PhD. She works with gender expansive individuals and age from 3. You can be gender expansive at 3. Boy puts on mommy's shoes. He's gender expansive. Wow. This is a very, this is a very bad woman. She's a bad woman. Get it, folks? If there are bad people, she's a bad person. Does she mean well? She sure does. Does she have a sweet smile? She sure does. She's a bad person. If there are bad people, she's one of them. This Yale Center 
at the Boston Children's Hospital and virtually every university in the country that has this stuff, they are hurting, deliberately mutilating children. Do you get that? Why didn't they do this 10 years ago, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100, 200, 500 years ago? What does science know today about children to mutilate them in the name of science that they didn't know in the past? These are sick people ruining children and parents are going along with it because they're weak. Weakness is the human condition. Continue with this sick, sick message from this woman at Yale. The um, help individuals who are questioning their gender identity or who identify as transgender or non-binary. We help them. Non-binary. Whoa, that's a new one, folks. They're identifying not only sometimes as the other sex, but as non-binary. They're neither male nor female. That's a new one too, isn't it? Where were the non-binaries 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 100 years ago? What a science discovered. Were all the scientists of the past morons? Every every, child psychiatrist and child psychologist, they missed out on this until now at Yale or at Boston Children's Hospital or Pittsburgh Children's Hospital? (laughs) it's amazing yeah you're a gender expansive child continue please is there more journey um, thinking through that thinking through the risks and the benefits of uh, medical intervention uh, starting medical intervention um, and At also three. building supports around them and I love what I do so it's really that's what really she does to, to be working in this field and another destructive female working with individuals who are gender diverse and gaining their support gender diverse yep your three-year-old might be gender diverse If you're not angry at these people, there's something wrong with you. Simple as that. I alienated you. I'm sorry. So be it. Last time I was this angry was probably when uh, I announced what what a disaster the worldwide lockdown was. The war on children by the left is unprecedented in, perhaps in history. I don't know if there's ever been a war on children. Maybe the Taliban not allowing girls to go to school. It would be an equivalent war on children to what the left is doing in America. Oh, by the way, they've dropped this in the UK. There's an article you sent me last night, correct? The UK is, no, is shutting down this, uh, this stuff for children. They realize all it is is child abuse. You don't understand at Yale. You understand that the 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 most prestigious places are sick. There's a pathology. If you're a doctor and you don't speak out against this, you are a disgrace to your profession, especially if you work with children. However, cowardice is the human norm, whether it's doctors or lawyers or politicians or parents or electricians or chiropractors 
or Uber drivers, cowardice is the human norm. That's why you got to fight your nature to be a decent human being. <laughs> yes, but people will vote Democrat. People will still vote to ruin children. They will still do it because they don't vote for the party. They vote for the candidate. Biden is a, is a child abuser in chief. He makes all of this possible from the highest position in America. And people vote Democrat. Let us continue to destroy children's lives. Vote Democrat. Oh my God, it is so obvious. It is so obvious. What is the famous psalm? They have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear. It, was, it, was, it is talking about idols. I can say that about half of America. Eyes but do not see and ears but do not hear. Is that a good description? You are voting for the, the, a war on children when you vote Democrat. And half this country doesn't give a damn. It's very sad for me to say, because I held Americans in higher regard all of my life. There are so many great ones. But we're losing the battle right now. Oh boy, the chickens are going to come home to roost. Just like with communism, after it fell, oh my God, look at how bad it was. The, The... The left couldn't say it was bad while it was in power. Anyway, now there's a romanticization of communism. One day, a lot of these a lot of these will grow up and go, why did my parents allow me to cut off my breasts? Why did my parents give me a penis? I had a vagina. That's what God gave me. It will happen. And they will deserve it, I'm sorry to say. Eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear. Now, let me see here what happened. I want to get... I just got the page up. I'm going to have to do it again. I want to read to you about... The uh, what the Brits have decided to do. America is is the worst with regard to mutilating children by doctors and psychologists. America is probably the worst in the world. I don't know why. I don't know why. I've never thought I'd say America is the worst in the world about anything. The contempt for children with the lockdowns by the teachers who don't give a damn about children. The teacher's profession is corrupt morally, intellectually, pedagogically. And parents go along with this. I, you see, the whole point of parenthood is protecting your child. And, and yet, the authority of the teacher's union is more important than the welfare of your child. And, and now this stuff... Your child, you really believe you have a child that, what is it, bends 
what was the word? Tra- not trans. That was expansive. Yes, gender expansive child. Wow. No, I, I oh the um the the British. Okay, good. So here's the Brit story. You need to hear this. This is really something. From National Review. By the spring of 2023, Britain's state-run transgender youth clinic will shut its doors for good. Can't believe it. There's a reason for optimism. An English-speaking country, too. NHS England, National Health Service England, announced it was closing the Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic last month after an independent report concluded that it was, quote, not a safe or viable long-term option, quote-unquote, for gender-confused young people. Do you know who's confusing the vast majority, nearly every one of these young people? Society. The damn left. That's who, they're not personally confused. They've been rendered confused. The report conducted by the former president of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health found that patients were at considerable risk from clinicians' unquestioning affirmative approach, like Yale, like Boston Children's Hospital, Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. I'll give you more names. I wonder what Children's Hospital isn't colluding in ruining children's lives. Is one doctor at any children's hospital speaking out? Look, what would happen to a doctor who said, this is not good. Three-year-olds are not gender confused. We are. We are confusing them. Do not affirm a five-year-old's decision to have a different sex or no sex. Do not affirm it. Affirm their sex. Is there one physician at one children's hospital that will say this? So let me just say, I understand the courage it takes. You will be hated. You will be ostracized. You might lose your job. The New York Times will attack you. The Boston Globe will attack you. The Miami Herald will attack you. The Chicago Tribune will attack you. The Seattle Post-Intelligencer. The Los Angeles Times. They will call you every possible name. A hater. A transphobe. Because you want to protect children. So I understand a doctor who doesn't have the courage to do this. But I, I expect us, who are not doctors in children's hospitals, to understand what's going on. This is very important, this next sentence. A London-based legal firm announced a class action lawsuit on behalf of 1,000 families whose, quote, children and young adolescents were rushed into treatment and as a result suffered life-changing and in some cases irreversible effects. That'll do it. Sue these hospitals. Sue them until every head of the hospital is either jailed or fired. You give If you care about children, I'm right. Do you understand? It's not a political issue, folks. It's a kid's issue. If we can't unite on what's good for kids, that two years of no school is despicable, masks on three-year-olds is idiotic, then we can't unite on anything. Anything. 
Skeptics of this wicked experiment rightly feel vindicated by the clinic's demise. But this is hardly consolation to its victims. No lawsuit, however successful, will ever restore what has been taken from them. Their peace of mind, their fertility, their sexual functioning, and even their healthy body parts. But rather than heed this warning, the United States continues to move move full speed ahead with so-called gender-affirming care. Every Republican should ask their Democratic opponent, do you condemn what is being done to children? Yes or no? To see what is in front of one's nose needs a constant struggle, George Orwell wrote. England's Tavistock Gender Clinic has been the focus of intense national scrutiny, in large part thanks to journalists, not in America, and especially those at the liberal-leaning Times of London. The left is more active and dominant in America than in any country in the Western world. I don't know why. I'm just telling you. When journalists noticed that referrals to the clinic had increased 20-fold in the past decade, how do you explain that? In the last 10 years, 20 times more kids are questioning their sexual identity. Why might that be? Hmm? It's because of the damn left. The damn left. These people curse the society. If you come into contact with them as a child, you are in danger. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here, and a teacher in Fort Worth is calling, and I'm going to take her call, continue with the call. Michelle, thank you for holding on. Yes, sir. All right, so how do I, how do I, why do I think that you think what you think? (laughs) I think you're so exposed to teachers and hearing that these teachers want to make sure there's absolutely zero zero risk in a classroom before they'll return, which you and I both know is insane because that's just not going to happen. And so when you hear that all the time and you hear these unions banging on, we're going to keep these kids out of school, the kids have to have masks, the kids have to, you just get to the point where you're saying all teachers are losers. I never said all um, teachers are losers. I said the teaching profession is a loser. Of course there are good teachers. There's good everybody. There's there's nothing on earth that is all bad people. It doesn't exist. The teaching profession stinks today, period. There are wonderful people in a stinking profession. It's a hard profession. No, it's a stinking profession. It's not hard. You teach history. You teach how to write. You teach how to do math. It is not hard. I could teach third graders. Okay, so um, my last season as a teacher was a science and math teacher, and that's what I taught. Didn't teach any of this other woke garbage. Uh, because, And it's still hard because of the background of the kids. But anyway, that's a whole different story. When... Um, when we first closed down schools because of COVID, I set up my office at home and I was on the phone constantly with parents because our kids were failing. So we get through the rest of that school year. The fall comes and the district that I'm in said, 
we really prefer everyone to be face-to-face, even though the rest of the nation is saying everybody must mask. We're going to let parents decide. And I think as it should have been. So I was a virtual teacher, so I was half virtual, half face-to-face during that time. And what I found was that my virtual kids were failing. That's right. So why is my condemnation not accurate? Oh, because it the the profession it's because the issue is the profession within different states or within different districts. It's not the entire profession. Because, and I'll tell you, you're right. In rural areas, it might have been better. I'm sorry, I have to let you go because we're just about ending the the show. What? what, you, You think I enjoy any of you? I'm not just asking this wonderful woman. I think I enjoy saying this. I have teachers in my extended family. People are afraid to condemn what happened. Teacher is a sacred name. In my religion, teacher and parent are considered of equal value. I was raised that way. We stood when my principal entered the room. The left has disgraced the beautiful profession of teaching. We need to say that. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.